Hello and welcome. My name is Deacon Matt Newsom. I'm the Catholic Campus Minister at Western Carolina University, and this is CCM Summer School, um, what I hope will be a 10-part series of podcasts that I plan to record over the course of this summer uh, to enable us to delve into a topic that, you know, we don't really get to talk about in the regular course of, uh, of the academic year and in the things that we do in campus ministry, uh, at least not as, as much as I, um, you know, as I would like in an intentional way, and that's church history. Um, it's, it's really important for us as, as Catholics, as Christians, to know the history of our church, uh, and specifically to know kind of how we got to where we are today. Um, you, know, you look in the Bible, you look in the, the Gospels and the epistles of the New Testament, you look especially at Acts, which is the, the history of that, that very early history of the church, that first generation of Christians, the Acts of the Apostles, and you look at the church today day and you know, it, it, in a lot of ways, it looks like a much different animal. It's a lot larger. It's a lot more complex. And certainly, our, our teachings and the doctrines of our faith have, um, uh, you know, have become a little bit more highly evolved. And so, how did we get to this point, right? How do you draw that line from point A to point B? And the way that I um, would like to do this is by examining. Uh, the heresies that the church has dealt with. Um, I think this is a really interesting way to kind of tackle church history um, by looking at the different heretical movements that have, have always been there uh, within the church that the church has encountered, that the church has had to deal with. Um, because by looking at how the church has, has responded to these, these heretical movements, it allows us to see very clearly what what Cardinal Newman uh, in the 19th century talked about as the development of doctrine, right? Uh, because so, you know, very often uh, the church might not have a definitive teaching on a subject, on a matter, until there's a need to define it because a crisis has, has evolved, uh, because someone has challenged this, this idea. And that kind of then forces the church fathers, uh, the bishops, to say, well, wait a minute, that, that's not right, that's not what we believe, so let's formulate and let's articulate in a very clear way precisely what we do believe. And this is how we got some of the great theological definitions that, that we all learn about today in, in faith formation classes, CCD classes, and in reading the catechism and so forth. So um, it's a fascinating way of looking at church history. And, and it also allows us to kind of see the, the history of these ideas. Um, I'll put a general disclaimer here at the beginning. I am not an historian. Uh, I'm not a professionally or academically trained historian. Uh, I do love history. I find history very interesting, especially the history of the Catholic Church. Um, but, uh, but it's not my profession and it's not my calling. So looking at, uh, at history from this particular lens of the development of doctrine uh, and how the Church has responded to heresies, um, kind of allows us to focus not so much on, you know, names and dates and, you know, uh, political history and that sort of thing. We'll touch on that because, you know, everything is kind of evolved. None of these things happened in a vacuum. But um, our main focus is going to be the development of these, these theological, you know, ideas. Um, what we're going to do is, in this episode, this first introductory episode, talk a little bit about heresy in general. Um, and then in later episodes, we'll, we'll deal with kind of one heresy at a time in chronological order, and, and there will be about 10 episodes in total. Before we, we kick off, though, I want to talk about heresy in, in a general sense. Um, heresy is a word that, um, 
you know, it's not considered a polite word today. If you go around calling your neighbors heretics, they probably won't respond very positively to that, <laughs> and, and I don't recommend that. Um, it's not a word that has good, uh, you know, good images associated with it. If you say heresy or heretic, it kind of conjures up images of, of what people at least perceive to be a, a dark period in the church's past and people being burned at the stake and, and that sort of thing. Um, you know, and that's not what we're going for. That's not what we're talking about. Um, but the word heresy actually has a, a very clear, straightforward definition. Um, in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraph 2089, it gives a definition of heresy as the obstinate denial after baptism of a truth which must be believed with divine and Catholic faith. And I'll read that a second time. It's the obstinate denial after baptism of a truth which must be believed with divine and Catholic faith. So let's take that apart a little bit and see what that, what that means, um, because it tells us a lot in that one little sentence. Um, first of all, it's, it's a post-baptismal denial of a truth of the faith. So someone has to be baptized in order to be a heretic in the proper sense. Uh, it's assumed that someone has, has been baptized, that they have received the Christian faith, um, and that having received it, they are then denying it. Right? So you can't be uh, a heretic if you are not first a Christian. So when we're talking about heresies, we're talking about um, uh, errors, uh, wrong teaching within the, the, uh, the church, within uh, the body of Christianity. Um, it's a denial of a truth which must be believed with divine and Catholic faith, not just a truth in general. Um, what that means, a truth which must be believed with divine and Catholic faith, uh, it means they're denying what we call a dogma, um, a truth of the faith that has been um, definitively proclaimed by the magisterium, the teaching authority of the Catholic Church, um, and, and the heretic is then denying that. Uh, this is something that, that we as Christians, as Catholics, must believe, are bound to believe by, uh, by our obedience to the faith. Um, there is a hierarchy of truths, and not all truths taught by the church rise to the level of this truth which must be believed with divine and Catholic faith. Um, so it, to be a heretic doesn't just mean denying something that's true. The sky is blue. That is something which is true. If someone is going around saying the sky is red, um, they're not a heretic. They're wrong, uh, you know, because the sky is in fact blue, not red. Uh, but just simply being wrong about something doesn't make them a heretic. Even denying something that that most Catholics believe, um, something which is uh, definitively taught by the magisterium would be something like the Trinity: God is uh, one God in three persons, right? Or the um, uh, the dual natures of of Christ: that Christ is fully man, fully human. Uh, yet, you know, one divine person. Um, you know, these things are fundamental to our faith, and if you deny these fundamental truths, um, you, you are guilty of heresy. Um, but, say for example, you know, I'm, I'm recording this now in the month of May, and, um, you know, May 13th is the Feast of, of Our Lady of Fatima. Um, the Church has approved of the apparitions of Our Lady of Fatima, um, but 
as a Catholic, I am not bound, um, you know, by divine and Catholic faith to believe in the apparitions at Fatima. Uh, so if I choose to disbelieve in, in those apparitions, that if I say, oh, Our Lady never appeared to, you know, the three shepherd children, uh, the miracle of the sun, you know, didn't happen, or it was just an astro, you know, an astronomical phenomenon or something, um, that doesn't make me a heretic, right? Because that's not a truth that has been put forward um, by the church as, uh, uh, as something which I must believe with divine and Catholic faith. So we're talking about denial of a, of a certain level of, of, of doctrine here, something that rises to that level of dogma. Uh, and then finally, uh, according to the catechism definition, this is an obstinate denial. So someone's not just wrong about something, but someone is persisting in, in proclaiming their wrongness. So... You know, for example, if you have a priest who is preaching heresy at Mass, in his homily at Mass, he's, he's preaching heresy, and the bishop gets word of that. And the bishop uh, calls in this priest for a meeting and says, Oh, Father, Father so-and-so, um, I hear you're preaching heresy, and I'd really like you to stop. And Father so-and-so says, Oh, I'm so sorry, I had no idea, Bishop. I was totally mistaken on that point, but thank you for correcting me. And then Father so-and-so goes back to his parish and, and corrects himself and, um, and ceases teaching heresy. Um, all is well. Right, all is well. But if Father So and So uh, says no, Bishop, I'm going to continue to preach my ideas because I think I'm right and I think you're wrong and I think the Church is wrong on this point. So I'm going to go ahead and can, and keep preaching my heretical ideas. Um, at that point, that's an obstinate denial. Right, that's an obstinate denial um, of the truth, which must be believed with divine and Catholic faith. Uh, and so, Father So and So could be formally uh, called a heretic at that point. So there's a lot to that definition, um, and I wanted to go through that just to uh, get it out there that simply being wrong about something, or simply being wrong about something pertaining to the faith, does not make one a heretic. Right? There's a specific definition for that. It's the obstinate denial after baptism of a truth which must be believed with divine and Catholic faith. Um, and again, most people today don't go around calling their friends and neighbors uh, heretics, even if they have wrong ideas about religion. And that's a good thing, right? That's a good thing. Um, but sometimes I think we would use the word, I wish we would use the word more often than we do, because it's still a useful word in terms of helping us to make a, a sharp distinction between what is true and what is not when it comes to Christianity. And one of my, my great frustrations as a Christian is when I see something being reported in the news or, or uh, forwarded around on social media that casts Christianity in a bad light because of something that the church neither believes nor practices. Um, there are Christian groups or groups claiming to be Christians that believe all kinds of crazy things out there today, and and when they when they um, are are particularly loud, you know, in their craziness, you know, people like the Westboro Baptists or something, um, you know, it just it hurts my heart how a lot of people will see that and and just have all of their negative um, ideas about Christianity reinforced. And I, I want to shout, you know, that's not true. That's not really Christianity. That's not what the church really says we should, you know, we should do or that we're about. But then I remember that, you know, sadly, there are groups out there. There are groups of Christians out there that do believe those things. And um, because of the, the divided uh, state of the church today. And so to the critic of Christianity that's kind of looking in from the outside, you know, the only difference between the Catholic Church and the Westboro Baptists is the name on the door. You know, yeah, yeah one church, one group is larger than the other. But, 
the feeling seems to be, well, you know, who's to say what's real Christianity and what isn't? You say that that's not, you know, really Christian, that they're not actually teaching Christian ideas. Um, but what makes your church so special, right? What gives you the right to determine what is and is not truly Christian? Uh, you know, and our response is, yeah, the Catholic Church is special. We do believe that the Catholic Church is special. And what makes her so special is that she has been given authority specifically by Jesus. Jesus Christ gave authority, specific authority, to Peter and to the apostles. He gave Peter the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And then he told him, and he told the other apostles, Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. This is Matthew 16, uh, verses 18 and 19. Right? He gives the, the apostles the authority to, to bind and loose in his name. I don't have the right to define what is truly Christian and what, what is, isn't. Right? You don't have the right to decide and define what is truly Christian and what is not Christian. But the church does. Right? The successors of the apostles do. And, and that's the point. And this has always been the attitude of the church. Whenever a question of orthodoxy, right, which means right thinking, whenever a question of orthodoxy has arisen in the history of the church, the church has always approached it by gathering together the successors of the apostles, who are the bishops, in council to examine the issue at hand, to look at the issues being put forth, whether we're talking about Arianism or whether we're talking about, you know, the, the Cathars in the Middle Ages, right? Um, but to look at the issues, to look at what, what's going on and examine them in the light of the, the tradition that has been handed on to them by the apostles. And guided by the Holy Spirit, they're able to authoritatively declare this teaching is in accord with the apostolic faith that has been handed on to us. And, and this, this other teaching, this is not. This is heresy. This is foreign to you know, authentic Christianity. And it's those who persist in that heresy, those who, after being corrected, after the church has made a declaration on this, that persist in that heresy, those are the ones who believe that they have a right to define Christianity on their own terms. They're defining their version of Christianity, you know, over and above that that the apostles and their successors have, have taught us. And there have always been those who have done that. There have always been those who have promoted their own version of Christianity over apostolic authority. And and that's why it has always, since the beginning of the church, been necessary to clearly identify and proclaim the authentic Catholic faith. Catholic meaning universal. It's universally true. St. Cyril of Jerusalem in, in the year 350, so in the middle of the 4th century, in one of his catechetical lectures, um, advised those who traveled to, to other cities. He says, if you're ever visiting in cities, do not inquire simply where the house of the Lord is. For the others, sects of the impious, attempt to call their dens houses of the Lord. Nor ask merely where the church is, but where is the Catholic Church? For this is the name peculiar to this holy church, the mother of us all, which is the spouse of our Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God. So what he's saying, in other words, is, you know, when you're traveling around, don't be fooled by imposters. Don't be fooled simply by everyone who's using the name Christian or, or preaching the name of Jesus because there are a lot of wrong ideas out there. 
even in the 4th century. He says, don't settle for anything less than true, authentic Christianity, the true Church of Christ. And that's still sound advice today. And, and that's why we, we shouldn't be afraid of using the word heresy where it applies. And again, don't get me wrong, I'm not advocating for a return to the days of burning people at the stake or anything like that. People absolutely should not be persecuted for their beliefs. But that doesn't mean that we have to treat all beliefs as being equal, because they're not. They're simply not. Some beliefs are true, and some beliefs are false, and we need to be able to identify the difference. Some beliefs uphold human dignity, and other beliefs are harmful to human dignity, and we need to be able to identify the difference. Some beliefs are, are part of the authentic, historical Christian tradition that has been handed on to us from the apostles. And other beliefs are foreign to that tradition. And we need to be able to identify the difference. Right? It's not wrong to call a spade a spade. It's helpful, and it's even necessary, to be able to clearly delineate truth from error. And sometimes in the history of the Church, that has not always been so clear. And that's what we'll be looking at in this podcast series. The great scandal um, that has been uh, the result of, of the Protestant Reformation that, that we've been dealing with for the past 500 years is the result of uh, a splintered Christianity. We're living now in a world where Christianity has been splintered into a multitude of competing sects, each with its own particular brand to sell. Right? Do, you, do you prefer liturgical worship, like a high liturgical worship uh, on Sunday mornings? Well, there's a church for that. Do you prefer something more like a Sunday morning rock concert? Well, there's a church for that. Um, maybe you think we should worship on Saturday instead of Sunday. Well, there's a church for that. Uh, do you approve of same-sex marriage? Well, there's a church for that. Uh, do you like seven sacraments? Do you like just two sacraments? Do you believe in no sacraments at all? Right? There's a church for, for all of that. Um, you can find a, a church that believes pretty much anything that you believe, and they all claim to be correct. And with all these competing claims of correctness, it becomes almost impossible for someone on the outside to determine, well, what's true Christianity? And in that regard, you know, Protestantism suffers from the same basic flaw as Islam. Um, both have a holy book, but no holy see. They both have an authoritative text, but no authoritative interpreter of that text. Now, Islam has been that way from the very beginning. There's never been an Islamic pope or an Islamic magisterium, and so it's no surprise then that Islam has been fractured from the very beginning into different competing versions of Islam, and no one has any more legitimate claim to authority than the others do. And that's why there's still ongoing arguments today as to what represents true Islam and why those arguments will never be settled. But that's not the case with Christianity. When Jesus established the Catholic Church, he bestowed upon the Church many gifts, not the least of which is the authority to teach, to govern, and to sanctify in his name. Unlike Islam, Christianity has an authoritative teacher and a clearly defined body of beliefs. The papacy is that, that visible point of unity among the bishops is a great gift to the Church. Uh, the ecumenical councils as tools where the bishops can come together and speak with one authoritative voice um, is a great gift to the church. Um, the, the teaching tools that we have that encapsulate um, and present to us the authentic teaching of the magisterium, such as the catechism, these are great gifts. And Catholics everywhere should learn to rely on these gifts and to be comfortable with the, articulating the teachings of their faith. 
right? Don't be afraid to proclaim them. Um, so when we see Christian, uh, the Christian religion, Christianity attacked for uh, some belief or some practice that that really is foreign to the Catholic Church, let's not be afraid to call it out. Let's let's you know use the H word. Let's say that's not Christianity. That is that is a heresy. Uh, the Church agrees with you. That's wrong. That is a wrong teaching. Now let me show you what the church really teaches. Let me show you how beautiful the church really is um, in, in an authentic way. Um, I'm called to mind uh, uh, something that Archbishop uh, Fulton Sheen said about um, people's perceptions of the Catholic Church. He says there are not 100 people in the United States who hate the Catholic Church, but there are millions of people who hate what they wrongly perceive the Catholic Church to be. By being able to make a distinction between heretical um, ideas and authentic Christianity, uh, hopefully we'll be able to uh, show people um, more clearly uh, this, this true Catholic Church, right? the, the true beauty um, of the faith. Um, there's a quote from St. Augustine in The City of God, where he, he talks about heresies you know, almost in a positive light, uh, in, in the sense of the, uh, the benefit that, that they have uh, given to the church. God likes to, uh, to draw good things um, even out of the worst situations. And St. Augustine said, While the hot restlessness of heretics stirs questions about many articles of the Catholic faith, the necessity of defending them, forces us both to investigate them more accurately, to understand them more clearly, and to proclaim them more earnestly. So as we learn about these different uh, heresies that have rocked the faith, rocked Christianity from the beginning, um, in examining how the church has defended the faith against these heresies, we my goal is for us to be able to articulate the truths of our faith more accurately, to understand the truths of our faith more clearly, so that we can then proclaim them more earnestly. That's my goal with, with this series. Um, it will be a 10-part series, uh, including this, this first episode, this introduction. Uh, the following nine episodes will, will deal with, with one or occasionally two um, heretical movements, and it should be about an hour, you know, plus or minus uh, each is my goal. Uh, next week, we will look at Gnosticism. Um, the, we're going to go in chronological order. Uh, the, the week after that, we'll look at Arianism, uh, followed by Pelagianism. We'll look at Nestorianism and Monophytism in, in one episode together, uh, and then we'll examine iconoclasm, and, and that will bring us uh, up to the first kind of thousand years of Christian history. After that, we'll look at um, what are called the great medieval heresies. We'll start with the Cathars, which are sometimes uh, better known as the Albigensians. Uh, then we'll look at the Waldensians. We'll look at the the, uh, the movements inspired by um, Wycliffe and, and Huss uh, prior to the Protestant Reformation. And then finally, our last episode, we'll we'll look at uh, Protestantism, um, and and that will be where we will end. So ten episodes in total, including this introduction. Um, my goal is to do one per week um, over the summer. 
Uh, and I hope this is interesting for you. I hope that it's a good, uh, good way to introduce you to maybe a different aspect of church history than you've looked at before. Um, again, I personally am not a historian, so um, I'm, I'm sharing to you the fruits of others' labor. Most of the information that I'll be sharing comes from a book uh, by uh, Father Richard M. Hogan called Descent from the Creed, and that's Descent, D-I-S-S-E-N-T. Descent from the Creed, Heresies Past and Present by Richard M. Hogan. It's published by our Sunday Visitor, and um, it does more or less what I'm attempting to do in this podcast series. Every chapter deals with a particular heresy. Um, he kind of introduces us to the main players uh, and uh, what those heretical ideas were, and then how the church responded uh, to that. Um, he goes into a lot more detail than I will, obviously, and covers a lot more heresies. Uh, that's Descent from the Creed, and that's my primary reference. I'll put a link to that uh, uh, book um, on our website. I'll also be drawing material from Hilaire Belloc. Hilaire Belloc was a great Catholic writer from the early 20th century, uh, contemporary with G.K. Chesterton, if you're familiar with Chesterton. Uh, he wrote many books, uh, the two in particular that I'll be referencing in this, in this podcast, drawing material from, are um, The Great Heresies. Uh, in that book, The Great Heresies, he, um, he looks at... Um, uh, Arianism. He looks uh, at, at Islam. We won't be talking about Islam, but he examines Islam. Uh, he talks about the Albigensians uh, and the Reformation. And then he also has a, a book called How the Reformation Happened, which, um, as the name suggests, goes into a lot more detail on uh, on the Protestant uh, Reformation. Uh, in addition to that, there's a, a wonderful church history book, a single volume church history book that I recommend for anyone who just wants a broad overview. It's called Triumph. The Power and the Glory of the Catholic Church. It's by uh, Henry Crocker, and um, it's it's a fun read. Uh, the one caveat I give to that is if you're looking for a kind of uh, third-party, objective eye, you know, history of the church, that's not what this is. Uh, the author, um, Henry Crocker, is very unapologetically Catholic, and so this is very much a, a pro church, pro-Catholic um, uh, view of history. Um, as I said, it's a, it's a good single volume, um, a comprehensive history of the church, and so it, it's, a, it's a good, easy read and a fun read. If you want something that's going to go a little bit more in-depth, um, I recommend a seven-volume uh, series called the, A History of Christendom by Warren H. Carroll. Uh, Dr. Warren Carroll is the founder of Christendom College, but he's also a historian and, uh, uh, and a professor of history. Um, and he wrote, his, his great work um, was a seven-volume history of the Catholic Church called A History of Christendom. Uh, volume one is called The Founding of Christendom, uh, and it deals with that apostolic era. Um, and I'll, I'll put a link to, to that volume, and then you can kind of find the, the rest of the volumes um, from the Amazon uh, page there. It's a seven-volume series. Um, and then finally, the last book that I'll just mention, uh, a lot of the early heresies that we'll be talking about especially, what we know about them comes from the writings of the, the Church Fathers, uh, figures like St. Augustine or St. Cyril of Jerusalem, um, uh, and... Um, so it's helpful to know the writings of the Church Fathers. And uh, there's a nice little introduction, if that's not something you're familiar with, uh, called The Fathers of the Church, An Introduction to the First Christian Teachers. It's by Michael Aquilina. 
Again, very easy read, very good basic introduction to the thinking and the writing of uh, the most influential fathers of the church, and, uh, and I'll put a link to, to that book um, on there as, as well for you. So uh, that's it for this introductory episode. Um, I'm looking forward to, to recording uh, this series, and um, hopefully uh, this will be a benefit to not just the students at Western Carolina who are uh, home over the summer or off on summer adventures, uh, but anyone who stumbles across uh, this podcast and this uh, and this website. Uh, for those of you who are my students who are home over the summer, uh, I know most of you are doing um, either internships or summer jobs or summers abroad. Um, no one I, uh, I talked to was planning on having a lazy summer, uh, but nevertheless, I hope you're enjoying this time away from school and in the midst of um, whatever is occupying you, you're able to uh, take advantage and, and get some rest, get some relaxation, some renewal, um, and, uh, and I look forward to having you back here uh, in, in the fall. So uh, God bless and, uh, and enjoy, uh, enjoy this podcast and we'll speak to you next week.